that you would help us to understand you more and that you would point us forward to the Lord Jesus and help us to understand him more too. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. To get us started today, I want us to think about this statement. The thing humans desire more than anything is justice. Why don't you turn to your neighbour and ask them what they think? Do you agree or disagree? Do you think there's something that humans desire more than justice or not? Humans desire more, more than anything justice. True or false, ask your neighbour. If you haven't met them, introduce yourself. I'll give you a minute. That was one minute. Time flies when you're having fun. Let's keep thinking about this together. Well, there are many things that humans desire, aren't there? And whether or not you think this statement is particularly true or not, you can definitely say that humans do desire justice, whether it's the most or not, I don't know. But they do desire justice, don't they? When you see things on the TV, when criminals get off scot-free or people aren't given justice... That makes you angry, doesn't it? That sense of injustice rises up within you. Or when your friend gets better marks than you when you tried harder than them. Injustice. I think we love justice. That's why we love Batman. He's all about justice. We love that guy, don't we? And whether or not you think this is true, justice is something humans desire. It's something good that we all want, isn't it? And it's something that David wants in this psalm that we just read out, Psalm 54. Now, we're in the book of Psalms, you will have noticed. And the book of Psalms is a collection of poems and songs and prayers. Many of the psalms are written by or about King David. And some of them even mention David's life and particular moments in his life when they were written. And so that's what we're looking at over the next few weeks. Because we looked at 2 Samuel earlier in the year, the reign of David, now we're going to look at some Psalms of the King, some Psalms of King David to see some of the prayers that he prayed during his life. And so what about this Psalm? Well, let's have a look again. Have a look at me with, have a look with me at the superscription, the first little bit before verse 1, and we get the situation David's in. He says it's for the choir director with stringed instruments, a Davidic masculine, when the Ziphites went and said to Saul, is David not hiding among us? So this psalm is from the time in David's life when he was on the run, when he was fleeing from King Saul, who was trying to kill him. King Saul, God's first chosen king of Israel, he was the first king, but then he sinned, he turned against God, and so God rejected him as king. And chose David to be king in his place. This made Saul furious, as you can imagine. And so he hunted down David for 20 years. 20 years. And this is one of the times that Saul got close to catching David. When the Ziphites ratted him out. So Ziph was a town down in the south of Judah. And the sad thing is that they're from David's own tribe. They're from the tribe of Judah. They live in the same region and David is hiding, fleeing for his life in their region and they decide, hey, I can get in Saul's good books. Uh, we can go to, go to Saul and rat out David. And so that's what they do. Saul, here he is, come get him. 
And actually, they did this to David twice. He thought David would have learnt from his mistake, but he didn't. It happens in 1 Samuel 23 and 26. And so David fled for his life again as Saul pursued him to kill him. And thankfully, both times, God intervened and David was saved from the bloodthirsty Saul. And that's the situation David was facing for this psalm, betrayed by his own people and facing near death. And you can already start to see, can't you, the comparison between King David and King Jesus. David was betrayed by his own people, staring death in the face. When was Jesus betrayed by his own people and staring death in the face? That's one for you to answer. When did that happen for Jesus? Name the guy who betrayed him. Judas, thank you. Yeah, when Judas, one of the twelve, one of his closest friends and disciples, betrayed him to the Jewish leaders who wanted him dead. So Jesus was then facing certain death. Now, how did Jesus respond in that circumstance? Well, we know he responded faithfully, don't we? He didn't retaliate against Judas. He submitted himself to God's will for himself to die for us, willingly to pay for our sin. And so we see already this psalm, even just in that little bit at the beginning, is pointing us forward to King Jesus. From David's betrayal to Jesus' betrayal. Well, that's Jesus. Let's come back to David and let's get into the psalm. How does David respond to his situation of betrayal? Well, let's look. Verse 1. God, save me by your name and vindicate me by your might. God, hear my prayer. Listen to the words of my mouth. David starts by crying out to God, pleading with him for help, begging for his mercy, which makes sense, right? He's fleeing for his life. Saul's men are chasing him. They're hot on his heels. And so David does the only thing he can, cries out for help. And what is his plea? Well, it's really simple, isn't it? God, save me. Deliver me. Protect me. Vindicate me. Make things right. Don't let things end this way. You can imagine David thinking to himself, God, haven't you anointed me as the next king? God, haven't you promised me that you would deliver me from my enemies? That you would protect me? Lord, please keep your promise. But this is the situation David is facing. Look at the way he describes it in verse 3. For strangers rise up against me, and violent men seek my life. They have no regard for God. Notice that David calls them strangers. They're his own people, the Ziphites. They're from Judah, and Saul's men, they're fellow Israelites as well. But David calls them strangers. Why? Well, they're not treating him like friends or brothers, are they? They're treating him like a stranger. Doesn't it hurt when someone you think is your friend or your family member treats you like a stranger, like they don't even know you? That's awful, isn't it? Times that by a hundred or a million for David here. But they're also strangers. Did you get that last bit there? They're also strangers because they have no regard for God. Their behavior, 
their betrayal, their hatred of David, it stems from one place. They have no regard for the God of Israel. They hate God and so they hate his anointed king, David. And this is sadly the story of Israel's history. No regard for God and it led to their judgment and punishment. So David's saying, God save me because I do regard you. They don't regard you. They don't trust in you. They don't fear you. I do. Please save me. Which is the right response to troubled times, isn't it? Isn't David a great example here? When we face hard times, and most of us haven't faced as hard a time as David in this situation, when we face hard times, shouldn't our response be, Turning to the Lord in trust and prayer. Turning to God, the sovereign ruler of the universe, the one who loves his people and works for their good. Shouldn't we cry out in prayer to our Lord? Some of you are facing hard times today. I've spoken to people already this year who have been sick and who have lost family friends. What do you do with your hard times? Can I urge you to do what David does here? To pray. To turn to the trustworthy and sovereign God of the universe and pour out your heart to him. Because he listens and he does what is best. So David, he responds rightly to the situation, doesn't he? He's faithful. He trusts in God to save him. But let's go forward again in the Bible from King David to the son of David, King Jesus. Because this psalm points us forward to King Jesus. We've seen King David crying out to God in prayer and trust. Where do we see that happen for Jesus? Where do we see him crying out to his father in prayer and trust? Where do we see that most clearly? You can answer this one. In the Garden of Gethsemane, I think is what I heard out there. In the Garden of Gethsemane, as Judas was betraying him, as the Jewish mob were coming to arrest him, what did Jesus do? He was praying. He was crying out, Father, please let this cup pass from me, the cup of God's wrath that he was about to drink. Please let this cup pass from me, but Lord, not my will, but yours be done, he said. Prayer is the expression of, of trust in God, crying out in our trouble, trusting him with the answer. That is what King David did, and that is what we should do. It's what our Lord Jesus did too. But let's move on in the psalm, because David doesn't just cry out to God. He moves from a plea to a declaration. So have a look at verse 4. God is my helper. The Lord is the sustainer of my life. He will repay my adversaries for their evil. Because of your faithfulness, annihilate them. Having cried out to God, pleading for his life, what does David do? Well, he declares his confidence, doesn't he? He declares what he knows to be true from God's word. In verse 4, he says, You are the one who has said and proved that you are my helper. He says, You are the one who sustains my life who holds all life in his hands, so I know I can entrust my life to you. Then in verse 5, he says, Lord, I know that you will repay my enemies. 
he says, he even asks, God, annihilate them. Which sounds pretty full on, doesn't it? I don't know about you, but I haven't prayed for someone's annihilation recently. Sometimes the Psalms speak like this, don't they? They have these brutal and harsh prayers that don't sound Christian to our ears. But what we need to remember when we read prayers like that is that David had good reason to pray this prayer. First of all, David is appealing to God's faithfulness. Look at verse 5. Because of your faithfulness, God, annihilate them. God had promised that he would save his people Israel and defeat their enemies for them. God had promised that David would be king and that he would defeat his enemies before him. That is how he said he would work. If he didn't do that, he would be unfaithful. He would be unjust. And so David is simply saying, Lord, keep your word. Keep your promise to me and your people. Second, David has reason to pray like this because he is Israel's king and we are not. He was God's chosen people to lead and protect Israel. He was meant to fight for justice and peace in the land. If he were dead, then where would justice and peace go? It would disappear. And so David is praying for the good of the nation and the good of God's people. He's praying as the king, defeat my enemies for the good of your people, for justice and for peace in Israel. Thirdly, and this is the key, David prays that God would do justice for him, not that he would take justice. He's not taking revenge himself. He's not taking personal retaliation against his enemies. No, he's saying, God, you do justice, work justice on my behalf. And this is the pattern we're giving we're given all throughout the Bible and even in the New Testament as well. And so for a moment, I just want us to stop and read a few parts of the New Testament to kind of get our heads around well, what do we do with justice and injustice, with hurt and vengeance? What do we do with that? Well, we know Jesus' words well, don't we? Jesus says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Love those. Do good for them when they hate you. That is how Jesus wants his people to live. It's not our job to do the work of justice, of personal retaliation. No, it is God's job. And so Paul says things like this in Romans 12. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. Justice and vengeance, those things are God's job and not ours. Our, God is to do, our job is to do what Jesus did. And what Jesus did is in 1 Peter 2. When Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he was suffering, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. We are to follow the example of our Lord when people persecute or hurt us. But even though we're not meant to seek justice ourselves, even though we shouldn't personally retaliate, we can still pray for justice. Because God has promised that he will repay people according to their sin. And God has even promised, especially promised, that he will repay those who sin against his people. 
So look at 1 Corinthians 3. These sobering words. Paul says, If anyone destroys God's sanctuary, God will destroy him. For God's sanctuary is holy, and that is what you are. Paul says, As the church, God's people, we are God's house. He dwells in us. We are his temple, which we sung earlier. God will repay those who try to tear down his house. He will make sure justice is done. And Paul says something very similar in 2 Thessalonians 1. He says, It is righteous for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you. This will take place at the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven with his powerful angels, taking vengeance with flaming fire on those who don't know God and on those who don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Confronting words, aren't they? But words that are meant to make us uncomfortable, that are meant to make us remember God is holy. He will not tolerate injustice. He will set it right. And he will not tolerate the mistreatment of his people whom he loves and whom Jesus died for. So there are times when it is right and good for God's people to pray for justice. And that happens all throughout the Bible. People cry out for vindication, for God to do what is right and good. Here's an example from Revelation chapter 6. John sees a vision and he says, I saw under the altar... The people slaughtered because of God's word and the testimony they had. They've been killed for their faith. They cried out with a loud voice, Lord, the one who is holy and true, how long until you judge and avenge our blood from those who live on the earth? They cry out, Lord, when will you do justice for us? As you have promised, we desire your work of justice. So that is why David prays this in Psalm 54. He's simply declaring his confidence in God and for him to do as he has said he will do. That he will work justice and that he will look after him. Now we need to be careful how we do this, right? We need to work hard at forgiving and loving those who have hurt us. We need to put away bitterness and grudges. We should even pray for the salvation of our enemies. We should also pray honestly to God about how we feel and the justice that we desire. And then we should entrust the answer to him, not taking retaliation ourselves. It is God's job to do justice as he wills. But then David moves on at the end of the psalm. We've seen David's plea. Then we've seen his declaration of trust. And now we see his vow, his vow and response and his praise. Have a look at verse 6. I will sacrifice a freewill offering to you, God. I will praise your name, Yahweh, because it is good. For he has delivered me from every trouble, and my eye has looked down on my enemies. Now that David has cried out, now that he's declared his confidence and trust, he makes a promise. He says, God, I will go to the temple, to the tabernacle, the place where you dwell, and I will offer sacrifices, lavish and freely. I will do so with incredible thanks. I will praise you with my lips. 
And it's hard to know whether this part of the psalm was written before David was saved from Saul or whether he wrote it afterwards. Maybe he wrote it beforehand and he was saying, Lord, if you save me, this is what I will do. I will make sacrifices. I will thank God. I will thank you for all your goodness to me. Or maybe he uh, made this vow afterwards and he said, now that you have saved me, Lord, I'm going to praise you. I'm going to make sacrifices. I'm going to praise you with my lips. To be honest, I'm not sure it matters too much whether it was before or after. Because either way, what is David doing? He's expressing his trust in God. He's declaring his praise and thankfulness for deliverance. And this shows us the right response, I think, in our troubled times. The right response in hard times is trust and praise. Trust that God will keep his word, that he will be faithful to what he has said, but also praise that he does do that and praise when he does keep his word and bless his people. It's a beautiful psalm, isn't it? It shows us that right response to trouble in life, trust and prayer and confidence in our God. So that's Psalm 54. David on the run from Saul, but he cried out in trust to God, and God delivered him. In the face of betrayal and death and violence, David declares his praise, his trust. He cries out to God. And this is what God's king is meant to do and what we are meant to do as well. But to finish off, I want us to reflect on it for a moment, one more time, on King David's situation and how it points forward to King Jesus' situation. We've seen that both David and Jesus were betrayed by their own people. We've seen that both David and Jesus were staring death in the face. We've seen that both David and Jesus cried out to God for help. We've seen that David was delivered and vindicated by God. But what about Jesus? How is Jesus, the son of David, delivered and vindicated by God? Because in fact... He did face death. He died at the hands of his betrayers. And he died at the hand of God, the Father, who poured out his wrath on Jesus to take the punishment for us so that we could go free. But in fact, God did deliver him, didn't he? God did save and vindicate Jesus in a bigger way than he ever did for King David. Because what greater salvation and what greater vindication is there than rising from the dead? God the Father delivered Jesus, rising him from the dead, vindicating him before his enemies and raising him never to die again. That is the wonder of the Christian gospel. That as we see King David and his plea, And his trust and his vow, we are pointed forward to King Jesus. His plea, his trust, his vow, also his betrayal and his death, but then his vindication as he was raised from death to life. And now he gives that wonderful gift of eternal life, a raised eternal body. He gives that to anyone who would have faith in him, to us. Because of his mercy and kindness. So because God has given us such a great salvation. Like David, let's give all our praise to God for that salvation. 
And let's put all our trust in God like King David did. Let's put all our trust in him praying and knowing that he hears and that he will work out justice and salvation according to what is best. Let's pray now. God our Father, we praise you again for such a great salvation that because of the Lord Jesus, because of his betrayal, because of his death on the cross, and because you raised him to new and eternal life again, that we can receive the gift of salvation and eternal life also. We praise you for that wonderful gift. We thank you for the faithfulness of King David and his prayer, and that that points us forward to the faithfulness of King Jesus. And we pray, Lord, that you help us to imitate them and to cry out to you in trust and prayer, to declare our confidence and praise of you in those hard times and in all times. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we just heard... uh